Well, after that, anything's going to feel anticlimactic, but I think I'm supposed to preach now. Our second scripture lesson comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. It's called the Blues Highway. Highway 61 from New Orleans to Memphis. And right there in the middle, halfway between Vicksburg and Natchez, you'll find the little town of Port Gibson, Mississippi. From what I hear, it's one of those beautiful pre-Civil War towns listed on the National Register of Historic Places, a place even the Union Army said was too beautiful to burn. On the corner of Church and Walnut Streets in Port Gibson sits the first Presbyterian church founded in 1807. The current sanctuary was built in 1859 and displays one of the most unique architectural features you'll ever see on a church building. If you stand in front of Port Gibson Church and look up, way, way up, 165 feet up to the very top of the steeple, you'll see a hand, 12 feet high from wrist to the tip of its finger, covered in gold leaf with the index finger pointing skyward. The story is that glove makers used to use hands like this as a form for sewing and displaying gloves in their shops. And someone got the idea that this would be an appropriate symbol for a church. And so the original hand was carved from wood by a 17-year-old craftsman and placed on the steeple of the new building in 1859. 
164 years later, a gold finger on top of the steeple still points the people of Port Gibson up toward heaven. It's an unusual twist of church architecture, but it makes good sense when you think about it. Jesus left in a cloud with the disciples staring at the sky into which he had departed. Jesus left, and the church has been wondering what to do without him ever since. Ascension Day on the church calendar was actually a few days ago on Thursday, but we're celebrating today in worship. It happens exactly 40 days after Easter, according to Luke, and 10 days before Pentecost. Jesus led his disciples to a little place outside Jerusalem. He spoke to them for the last time, and then he was lifted up, disappearing into the sky. That's the plot line of this first chapter of Acts. One moment he's there, the next moment he's gone, slipping into the clouds, up and away, out of their sight. It's like a scene straight out of a movie by Steven Spielberg or Cecil B. DeMille, clouds sweeping across the landscape, special effects with shadows and light. Mysterious Middle Eastern music swells to a crescendo as the sky darkens, and Jesus levitates like a giant helium balloon at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Necks crane back, and all eyes follow him up, up, up and away. Ask a hundred people what their favorite church celebration is, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, and I bet you won't find a single person who says a word about the ascension. And I think that makes sense because the ascension marks the day that the very present Lord becomes disturbingly absent. And let's be honest, who wants to celebrate being left behind? People of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Two men in white robes, angels or messengers or something, ask that question of the disciples. Why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Because apparently, that's not going to do anything to change the situation. Jesus is gone, and we're left to make do best we can. And that is not staring off longingly into space. So what are we supposed to do? The first thing I think it would be helpful if we took stock in what we actually do have. And for starters, we get the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been promising that for a while now, but the timeline seems to have been shortened. John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in fact, it'll only be 10 more days until the ragtag band of disciples receives the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is not some genie in a bottle designed to grant all our wishes. The Holy Spirit's a teacher, a companion for the life of God, a sort of inner mentor to guide our words and actions and ways of being. So we get the Holy Spirit. But when we finally draw our gaze down from heaven, we see something else. We can finally see each other, the gathered community. We see that together we are the body of Christ. But if we're honest, 
Sometimes the gathered community can feel a whole lot more like a hassle than a help. We gather for worship, we pray, we connect with one another over a cup of coffee, but then we fuss. We fuss about property, we fuss and argue about the kitchen, about curriculum, about carpeting, and we disagree about the direction of the church. But you know what? All of those things matter, not because the topics matter, and they do, but because working through those issues together matters. It brings us together. It binds us as a community of people who are figuring out how to live and work and be in ministry alongside one another. We Presbyterians are actually pretty good at that. At the heart of much of our polity is the notion that we're far better off together than we are apart. Individuals in congregations, churches in presbyteries, presbyteries connected. We laugh about how Presbyterian churches seem to have a knack for forming uh, committees. And I'm sure you've heard about the man who went to see his doctor. The doctor said, I have bad news for you. You only have about a year left to live. Are you a person of faith? The man replies, well, yeah, I'm Presbyterian. The doctor said, perfect. Sign up to chair a committee. It'll be the longest year of your life. We can make all the jokes we want about our committees, but the presence and activity of the believing community is deeply important to, individu- to our individual walk of faith. Churches are not perfect. Read the rest of the book of Acts. Read the letter to the Corinthians. Churches have never been perfect. And these days, churches aren't even part of the larger culture's idea of what it means to be a good citizen. But for people who want to live a Christian life, churches are necessary. That's the bottom line. We need each other. Together, we're the body of Christ. Together, we become the Word made flesh, just as Jesus was the Word in flesh doing what the word would do, saying what the word would say. We don't all have the same gifts to do God's work, but we all belong. We're all part of the body of Christ. So people of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Instead, look around. Really, look around you. It reminds me of the story of the little boy who's frightened by a thunderstorm in the night. He cries for his mother, and after she comes to his bedroom and calms him, she suggests that he call on Jesus the next time he's afraid. Jesus is always with you, she said. Well, not five minutes go by before there's another loud thunderclap and a second call from her son. She settles him down again and then reminds him, remember, I told you to call on Jesus the next time you felt afraid. The son looks at his mother straight in the eyes and says, I know Jesus is always with me, but right now I need Jesus with skin on. Jesus with skin on. That's who we're called to be for one another. The word made flesh, the beloved community, the body of Christ. 
I love the tradition we have in every worship service when we pass the peace. I love that after we confess our sins to God in prayer, after we hear of God's forgiveness for each of us, we turn to one another and we say, the peace of Christ be with you, to which the other responds, and also with you. But in the Anglican Church of Central Africa, the passing of the peace happens a little bit differently. In that church, the custom is to take the hand of the person next to you, look that person in the eyes, and say, I love the face of Christ I see. I love the face of Christ I see. People of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Look around. Look around you and see Jesus with skin on. Sisters and brothers, I love the face of Christ I see. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. O Holy One, we gaze towards misty heavens, knowing you were just with us, and now you are gone. We watch the skies for just a glimpse of your dazzling grace, and you send us your spirit to bring our hearts and minds and souls back into our lives, our bodies into this very present moment where your presence is more difficult to see because of war, because of poverty, disease, addiction, homelessness. And yet your grace, your spirit, comes to us even in ordinary moments, even in the darkness. Your resurrection life reminds us that you indeed will empower us to be your light and life and hope in this world to the ends of the earth, wherever courage and grace are needed. For we are your people, O God. You have claimed us. And as much as we love sky-gazing, we know that you call us to be here on this earth to give witness in the midst of terror, anxiety, illness, death, and apathy. And so God, empower us with your spirit and let us share the grace and love that Christ first shared with us. Help us to listen deeply, to see far and wide, and to live faithfully as those called to be Jesus with skin on. Oh God, we lift up those who need your healing touch. For those who feel lost, abandoned, or forgotten, and we ask that in your power you might save them from the darkness. We pray for Anne, Carolyn, for the McAdoos, Ely, and Ian. We lift up those in our own lives now in silence. God, we pray for those who have lost loved ones, especially remembering Peggy and the family of Earl Hagler as they mourn his loss. Wrap them in your loving embrace as they grieve. Comfort us in our grief and remind us 
that our tears will not last forever. But, oh God, we also lift up joy, joy at new life, at baptism, at little Zeke, reminded that in the darkness your light shines evermore. Help us embrace Zeke and his family. Remind us that we are each claimed by you and called children of God. And now, O God, hear that prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings. 